Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. We thank you for tuning in. Now, if this is your first time, we welcome you and hope that you will stay with us and that you will dwell in the Spirit of Almighty God as we learn more about Jesus Christ. But if you're a return listener, we thank you for taking part in this ministry. We thank you for your prayers and for your continued listening. And we beg that you would contact us and let us know that you listen. Go to gospel-of-grace.com and let us know. And write us. We would love to hear from you. We welcome you to Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, located at 40283 Wolf Road near Caledonia, Mississippi, and to Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church at 11 Staten Road near Ackerman, Mississippi. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning, and you will find a humble, welcoming group of people dwelling in peace and loving Jesus Christ. And we want you to come and join us sometime. We also meet at 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening at the La Quinta Inn Conference Room in Starkville, Mississippi. Again, that's 6 p.m. every Wednesday evening. Today, we're carrying on with some teaching through Genesis chapter 22, and we hope that you'll stay tuned. And after this hymn, we'll be right back with today's message. He's gone, the spotless soul is gone, triumphant to his place above. The prison walls are broken down, the angels speed his swift remove. And shouting on their wings he flies, and goes to rest in paradise. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb of God. Glory, glory, let us sing. Grateful honors to our King. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb of God. Saved by the merit of his Lord, glory and praise to Christ he gives. He now enjoys the full reward, the joys of heaven he now receives. The life he lived while here below is proof that he's at rest, we know. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb of God. Glory, glory, let us sing. Grateful honors to our King. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lamb of God. Thank you so much for staying tuned with me here at the Gospel Grace Radio Broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles. Thank you for staying tuned and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. If you've been listening in the last few weeks, you know that I've been trying to point out some things that can be gleaned from Genesis chapter 22. And first off, we tried to speak to you and establish the fact that God is sovereign. 
Uh, you don't have to read very far in the word of God to realize that God is sovereign and the answers to no one. So therefore, if Isaac's life had been disposed of upon the top of Mount Moriah, as God commanded Abraham to do, then certainly God would have been just and right in doing so because God is sovereign. And it is his will, I mean, it's, excuse me, it is his right to do what he will with his own. Next, we tried to point out for you how that the goings-on here are a picture of life from the dead. Isaac was under a condemnation of death. And uh, friends, uh, Abraham knew that if the covenant promises made unto him and to his progeny were going to carry on, it had to be through the promised seed, Isaac. So therefore, he knew, he had to know, that though Isaac would die, yet Isaac would somehow live again. We also tried to bring to your mind your attention how that even though Abraham didn't know exactly how, that wasn't important. What was important, most important, is that he knew the who of the matter. He knew the goodness of God. He knew the caring nature of Almighty God. And even though he did not know all of the logistics he certainly knew that God was going to do that which is right. That that's all God can do is that which is right. So today we'd like to pick back up with verse 9 and a picture that we see uh, spoken of there. Verse 9 of Genesis 22 reads, And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. I want to focus in on that laid the wood in order and built an altar there. There we see organization. There we see Abraham uh, doing something that, well, let me ask you, would you care to do that if you'd been given the command to sacrifice your beloved son and you knew what you were fixing to have to do, would you be much to pay attention to detail? Here, Abraham is not just doing anything slack or willy-nilly. He's doing this appropriately and properly unto God. And even though it, his heart must have been uh, melting within him, even though his heart must have been yearning uh, with desire to be freed from this terrible, dreadful task that he'd been given, yet he was paying attention to detail. Friends, Abraham will not allow the unsavoriness of the task to be an excuse for not carrying through to completion. It had to be done. Why? Because God had commanded it. And even though Abraham did not understand again the how and the why, he knew the who, the Lord God Almighty. So therefore, he carried on with this and he was going to do it the right way. Now, notice the order here. He laid the wood in order. Certainly here the picture again is nothing willy-nilly. There's order here. No confusion. There's order here. Well, Friends, let's look at this in the sense of the uh, justice and the judgment of God. You see, that wood represented our condemnation. Isaac was toting that wood, that dead wood, that wood that could only be there because something had to die for it to be firewood. A tree had to die. Death had to take place. And so that death was strapped upon Isaac and Isaac there climbing up that mountain uh, to his judgment that had been determined by God was a you know picture of you and me having fallen having fallen in sin. Now, friends, we see here a picture of justice being determined. All right, we read in Nahum chapter one verse three a that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. You see, friends, 
God loved us before the foundation of the world. God loved his people, his elect, before the foundation of the world. But notice when we fell in Adam, who was our federal head in the sense of humanity, friends, God could not just take his law and justice and just sweep it under the rug. He could not just say, well, you know, justice really isn't all that important. I'll just overlook this transgression, Adam, and we'll give you a, a gimme. You know, we'll give you a mulligan. No, Adam had been given the law in the Garden of Eden. And the day that thou eatest of the fruit thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam knew what the result would be of eating the fruit. He didn't go into it blindly. He knew what the result to himself and Eve and his progeny would be, and that would be death or separation from the fellowship of Almighty God. So that justice had been determined. There was no brushing it under the carpet. God's justice, when he's determined it, it is to be so. And though he is slow to anger, according to Nahum, and great in power, yet he will not at all acquit the wicked. He won't just let them off. Notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, speaking of the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Paul wrote, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Do you see, friends, had it not been for the intercession and the work of Jesus Christ, then what the very wicked will endure in everlasting uh, torment would rightly have been ours. You see, even though God loved us before the foundation of the world, even though God had elected and predestinated a people, it still took Jesus Christ to come and make the sacrifice that the wrath of God would be satisfied. So we see that justice was determined uh, regarding the wicked. And my friends, even though it's unpleasant, we know that he has a place established for the wicked to go uh, because of their condemnation and wickedness. We see this alluded to in Revelations chapter 14. We'll begin reading with verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Here speaking of the non-elect, the unregenerate, the wicked of this world and their judgment. Said the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Oh, friends, here is the patience of the saints. According to verse 12, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Friends, though we rejoice in our everlasting felicity that we will have in heaven after a while, it also would greatly grieve our hearts day by day to realize that all the wickedness and the sin of this world would never be, uh, never come under judgment. There would never be recompense for all the wickedness that goes on. And that's why so many atheistic people or so many people who are unbelievers or who are naturalistic and humanistic and think that the only reality there is to be had is during this time world in which we live are totally frustrated and, and uh, in agony and their minds are troubled and they're bitter. Why? Because they see all of the injustice that goes on all around us and they have absolutely no uh, confidence that retribution will be had, that justice will be served. But friends, we believers in Jesus Christ know that that will not be so. 
it will be paid. And there's a place established by God in uh, Matthew chapter 25. He said it was a place uh, that he created for the devil and his angels. Friends, that's where the wicked are going to go. It's a place initially called hell, and then there's coming a time when it will be cast into an eternal lake of fire, a place of woe and misery. Now, someone may say, well, I just don't see where that's warranted. Well, friends, in your flesh, you'll never be able to see fully why hell and the lake of fire is warranted. But I encourage you, child of God, to walk not by sight, but walk by faith. Friends, I'll tell you, when we're fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, when Jesus breaks open these heavens and takes us up to be with him in glory, and we are actually glorified in our bodies and made like unto him, friends, that will also drastically alter our understanding and judgment. And so we're not able to understand and be totally reconciled to all eternal things. Why? Because we're mortal beings right now. And we only see glimpses and we see through a glass darkly. But I encourage you, child of grace, uh, don't be discouraged and don't think God unjust. At that day, we will fully and truly and clearly see that God is just and right in all that he does. And even though we can't come to ease and comfort with it here, Friends, you trust in the perfect, beautiful judgment of Almighty God. So justice was determined for the wicked. Justice, my friends, that place where justice would be meted out was established by God. And friends, he's not just going to throw them there and not take notice of them. Some people act like that uh, the afterlife of hell it's just kind of a place that's owned by Satan and it's going to be run according to his will. That is not so. Friends, uh, I want you to understand something, that God not only has determined justice would be carried out, but the place has been established, but also that our third point to this is that God will superintend the judgment of the wicked. Uh, God is going to superintend. Notice from our reading in Revelation chapter 14, how this woe and misery is unfolding. He said, in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. You see, God not only has determined judgment, God not only has prepared a place for judgment, but God will also superintend that judgment. Because here he, almighty God, the presence of the lamb and the holy angels are witnessing this. And I don't believe they're witnessing it in anguish and in torment, but they are fully satisfied in the perfect knowledge of a just and holy God, and so will we be one day. We see this point of the superintention of eternal uh, misery and woe, and that will be meted out upon the wicked. We see that it's alluded to in Revelations chapter 1. Notice what it says here in verse 18, speaking of our Lord God. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead. That's Jesus. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You see, he is the warden, as it were, of eternal woe and misery, and it will be meted out and superintended by God. You see this also alluded to in Luke chapter 16, verse 26. Remember that parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus died and was carried up into heaven by the holy angels to be in the presence of Abraham and of God, in the bosom of Abraham and of God. And we see the rich man went down to torment. 
uh, he lifted up his eyes in hell and he was in torment, okay? And he wanted uh, to be spared from that. But the words of, of uh, Abraham from heaven unto him was in verse 26, said a great gulf was fixed. Notice that a great gulf was fixed. There was an expanse. He said there was something whereby those that are in heaven could never cross that expanse into damnation. And he said those in damnation could never escape that and cross that gulf or that chasm, uh, that eternity, as it were, unto glory. No, but it is superintended and made sure by the purpose of Almighty God. Yes, my friends, that wood was laid in order. And you better believe one thing, uh, child of God, it's under the sound of my voice today. And if you're an unbeliever under the sound of my voice today, I don't care who you are, whether you believe it or you don't, you understand this fat preacher believes it, that there is a place called condemnation. There is a place called the eternal lake of fire. And one day it will be inhabited with the people who hate God. And you mark my words because God's word bears it out. So having laid that foundation of understanding regarding that condemnation of the wood that was laid in order, we're going to continue on now and read verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went, took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said unto this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, in my closing comments today, I want you to understand that coming up that mountain, when Isaac inquired that there was no sacrificial lamb, Abraham answered unto him, as we have covered before, God will prepare, uh, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And this is exactly what we're seeing. This ram caught in the thicket is a picture of Jesus Christ. Why do we know this to be so? Because he is the substitutionary atonement for Isaac. You see, Isaac got up from the altar. Not a drop of his blood was shed. Uh, no agony, no woe, no misery for him physically regarding the uh, knife that was to come down upon him and the fire that was to consume him. He experienced none of that. He got up scot-free as it were. Why? Because the ram whose horns uh, who was caught in the thicket by the horns, he was laid down in his stead. That is a picture of Jesus Christ. Now, friends, those horns are very important because horns throughout the word of God are emblematic of power, of strength. It was the horns of the altar, my friends, where uh, someone could go and lay hands upon it and find mercy from a death sentence. Some have tried to do that, but yet, you know, it didn't work for them. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, the horns of God's power in the person of Jesus Christ is all powerful. Now, my friends, those horns, though, were caught in a thicket. What's the picture we see there? Well, friends, first off, what does the thicket represent? 
Well, though the horns represent the power of God, the horns represent the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Because remember, Father, Word, and Holy Ghost, and these three are one. What does the thicket represent? The thicket, my friends, are briars and thorns. Those represent our mess that we were in, humanity and its condemnation. The condemnation of the elect, the beloved of God. Uh, why do we say that? Why do we say that thicket is synonymous with briars and thorns. Well, if you compare scripture with scripture, we go to Isaiah chapter nine, verse 18, and notice what it equates the thicket with. Isaiah chapter nine, verse 18 reads, for wickedness burneth as the fire, it shall devour the briars and thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. There in that passage of scripture, there related together are the briars and thorns with the thicket. Okay. The root word of thicket is thick. It's something that is uh, very enclosed. It is something that is very restrictive. Well, that's also briars and thorns. Uh, now you may ask, well, what does that have to do with the t price of tea in China, brother Joe? Well, let's look at it this way. Where do we see briars and thorns being related to our condemnation? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter three, verses 17b to 18a, now notice these words pronounced unto Adam regarding the condemnation or the judgment after the fall. Here it was conveyed unto him, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thorns and briars. You see, that's a picture of a cursed earth and the curse of us under sin. And you see, Jesus Christ willingly came and intermingled his precious, eternal, wonderful, godly power, and he got involved with the thicket of our mess. You see, he took on the nature of man, first and foremost, in his power. He got his uh, power involved uh, regarding the nature of man. And we'll go to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, and read, For as much then as the children... That's his children, children of God, mankind. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, our human nature, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. You see, God willingly, in the person of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, took upon himself the veil of flesh for us. Notice also in his power, he took on to defeat the sins of mankind. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he took on our nature, he took on our sins, and he defeated in both senses. Now let's look at another one. He took on the shame of man. Why was it that Jesus Christ cried out, cried out Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because friends, he had to be uh, bare 
the entirety of the shame and guilt of separation from his father on the tree of the cross. As it were, for a little while, God the Father withdrew his presence from the Son of God so that that would never happen to us, my friends, his elect children. We see this alluded to in Psalm 22, verse 14. Notice the wording of agony and angst and shame here. When speaking of Jesus Christ, this prophecy reads, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. But friends, you take heart. Even though the horns of that ram allowed itself to be intermingled with the thicket of our condemnation, you understand that he was resurrected and he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness uh, by the resurrection of the dead. His power was declared still intact and for his children through the resurrection of the dead. Oh, friends, we also know that his power was given him and will be exercised in the forgiveness of sins eternally for all of his children to carry them to glory. In John 17, 2, he prayed unto his father and said, as thou hast given him, notice this, power over all flesh. To what end? That he may give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And friends, he has power also to give unto us a saving experience. Notice I said the saving experience, not the work of salvation, but the salvation experience. Well, how do we obtain that in a powerful and bountiful way? How do we feel the horns of the ram piercing through the thicket? My friends, it's under the sound of the preaching of the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice the words of Paul under the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It is the power of of God. Notice there, friends, who is the preaching of the cross going to benefit? It's only going to benefit those who are saved. That means presently. How do I know? Because look at the structure of the sentence. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Do they have to reject the gospel to be in a perishing state? No, that's presently where they are, friends. But notice this, he says, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. If you hear the gospel preached, my friends, and believe it pertains to you and it stirs in you a belief and a desire for Jesus Christ, friends, it's not at that moment when you become saved. No, it's because you already are saved and now you're feeling the power. You're able, my friends, to more bountifully grab a hold of the horns of salvation in Jesus Christ and rejoice in it all the more. Oh, Lord uh, has blessed us with such great manifestation of his power. Friends, until we're able to speak with you on such things again, we beg that you would feel the power of Jesus Christ more bountifully every day.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the grace of Jesus.